Hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storer. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode number 33. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing great, Brennan. How are you doing? I am impressed you are able to remain upright. <laughs> you have returned to the dating world in full force. Yep. And I'm doing ghost walks. And you're doing ghost walks. So you are a busy, busy guy. I am a busy guy. I'm impressed. So yeah, no, things are good. And I'm thrilled about the nice weather. And Oh, absolutely. No, it just makes me happy. Yeah, same here. Same here. A lot of the stress that's been hanging over me the last couple of weeks is slid back a bit, so Excellent. I feel more human. I'm Good. actually sleeping, and, uh, you know, the clouds have parted for a little bit. Excellent. So No, forever. Forever, yes. There you go. I like that thinking. Yeah. And I'm excited about this episode, because we have, uh, this one kind of came to me out of the blue. Mm-hmm. The, 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 I was I was actually listening to the Resolution Unknown podcast, I think, okay. which one of our listeners started a little while ago. Right. And uh, it was uh, about a murder in Florida somewhere, if I remember correctly. They and put hookers under the bed, sir. But like as a, it's just like a, as a function as part no, of the room, like no, a Gideon Bible. Dead hookers. Oh yes. Yeah, seriously, in Florida, it, uh, there was like seven different reports of people going and actually sleeping in the beds and then checking out. Really? Being, yeah. Or they'd go in the room and like spend one night and then complain about the smell and they'd go in and oh, there's a hooker under the bed. Oh jeez, yeah, that's rough. Sorry, you said murder in Florida. That's a popped no, in my mind. No, fair enough. Yeah. Although I learned recently that it is not that more weird things happen in Florida. It is that there is a law yes. in Florida that allows reporters to access way more police data than ord- than in most states. Isn't that terrifying? It is terrifying. And how is nobody standing up to this? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm all for open access to information, yeah. but it, in this case, it's just being used to generate fear and, and sell, well, mind you, I guess that's the entire purpose of the news cycle, <laughs> is to generate fear and sell things, so. Well, get clicks, and boy, does Florida know how to get clicks. Oh, man. Terrifying. If only they knew how to get tax dollars to repair their infrastructure. <laughs> Broken social and, and, Yeah, social, <laughs> yeah, social safety net. Stop building nuclear power plants in areas prone to flooding. You there know. you go. There's a you. plan. We're looking at you, Miami. I'm not planning on going to Florida anytime soon. No, I have no plans to go no, to Florida. No. Uh, and I don't know how we got hung up in Florida because this new episode is about Detroit. Detroit. The hauntings of Detroit. Yeah. The once great motor city. Amazing city. Like I've seen, I, I'm really into like abandoned places and, right. and these sort of thing, urban explorer, that sort of thing. Wow, the pictures that come out of Detroit are incredible. The money that was there, the power, the wealth oh, that sure. was there. And now it's like a ruined husk of a place. Yeah, I mean, it It was home to about three or four years ago, the largest municipal bankruptcy in American history. That's incredible. $18.5 billion Jesus. in bankruptcy, they declared. And in terms of total area, I mean, we're going to get into it uh, yeah. once we actually start, but there is roughly, it is estimated that just an abandoned industrial space and housing that there is enough of Detroit empty to cover the island of Manhattan. That's insane. Something like 20, at least 25 square miles. Some people quote the figure 40 square miles, but that also includes parkland. Right. But if you actually just go with abandoned housing and and factories, you're looking at, yeah, roughly 22 to 26 square miles, which is larger than Manhattan. Equal to or larger than Manhattan. And that includes, for example, the, the Packard Motor Plant, which mm-hmm. closed, I think, in 1958. Right. Has never been opened since. Is 3.5 million square feet. See, that's the kind of thing I'd love to wander around. 
Oh yeah, I mean, but in safety, the asbestos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, and, and falling through, falling through, yeah, well, yeah. and the stabbing, but falling through floors and stuff. That's why I don't do it because yeah, no, I enough. am a pretty big coward when it comes to my oh, personal yeah. safety. Well, places like I mean, Ur- Urbex always sounds cool, but you, yeah. you got to take those things into account. Well, it's for young men. That's it. Yeah. When you're older and more aware of consequences, of course, you don't yeah, yeah. do stuff like that anymore. Before we get going, I'd like to introduce our musical guest for this episode, Riot at the Dojo. They are a group out of Seattle uh, who I'm a big fan of right now. They're a lot of fun. Their EP, Alien America, debuted, I believe, in January. It's available on iTunes. It's only five bucks, and nice. uh, it is a ton of fun. These guys, it, the song we're playing is Separated by Stars. And it's uh, from that from that EP. It's a little more a little more political leaning than stuff we ordinarily play. But I think the band as a whole is so talented that I, I don't care if you have a problem with it, turn it <laughs> off. You know, or plug your ears, whatever. But I think you'd be missing out because these guys are great. Very cool. And uh, they're actually doing a show down in Seattle in August. I'm hoping to get down. And oh, see. nice. So fingers crossed, I can make it down there for that. Excellent. But yeah, so the band is right at the dojo. The song is "Separated by Stars" from Alien America. And when we come back from the break, we'll be talking about the hauntings of Detroit. Under the gun, the police is who you run from. Your son, son, slave murders committed can never be undone. I come from a race of people keep rivers of blood flowing. Showing news at 11 and his dark face is gun blowing. We talk about ice, riches, and bitches and cars. We are all of one body, but we are separated like stars. Welcome back. Like we said before the break, this week we're going to be talking about the hauntings of Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I knew very little about Detroit before we started. Yeah, I mean, only I only knew cars came from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it was all sort of abandoning now. That, that's yeah, about it. That's it. But I thought we'd do a, a quick history of Detroit. That'd be great. So people can. I have no idea. No, no, and, and neither did I. And apparently, it was it was founded originally as a fort. Okay. In seventeen oh one. By, by this dude who, who had, I, what was it here, the, the greatest name ever, An, Antoine de la Mothe Cadillac, oh. whose parents were way ahead of the curve on naming their kids after fancy shit. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think that's kind of over now. It's about parents naming their kids after occupations they would never let their children do. Fletcher, Cooper, Hunter, <laughs> Miller. Miller, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it's never going to happen. No, you're going to work in IT, Miller. That's, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> Get away from that flower. That's right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I must. <laughs> it's my name. Hard-coded in his DNA. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of, I think, where we are now. It's probably changed. We're going to name our children grandpa names now. Oh, I know. Edgar. Like, uh, Edgar. Yeah, Gerald. Yeah. Ian. 
<laughs> Shots fired. Wow. <laughs> anyway. Yes. So ownership of Detroit was pretty heavily contested between the, the French, the Americans, and the British. Yep. And the whole place burned to the ground in 1805, nine years after the British retreated. Oh, I'm sure that was an accident. Yeah, right. <laughs> I used to, I used to um, blame stuff on our, our uh, international students, like after they left. Right. They'd be like, what happened to the? Oh, God damn them. They broke it. <laughs> Those foreigners. Wait. Yeah, wait. stupid Tulio. <laughs> yeah. I, I did that all the time. He'd been gone a year and I was still saying You actually that. had a guy named Tulio. Tulio for a year. That's he incredible. Year, yeah. I knew an old man named Tulio back home. He's an old Italian man. Okay. He had... Uh, he had fake teeth. He would walk around. He, he was shaped like a brown sphere. <laughs> this old Italian guy. And he would walk around with his hands behind his back wearing this floral, like blue and red floral colored shirt. Yeah. He never really spoke much English. So he would just mutter to himself and his teeth didn't fit very well. <laughs> so he would he, he would open his mouth and his teeth would kind of fall together and he'd just talk like... <laughs> and the story goes, and I don't know if this is true or not, but my uncle claimed he worked with Tulio back when they were building the dam. And Tulio, in, when he discovered that you could get workman's compensation for injuries and not have to work, right? he took a saw and chopped off his thumb. Oh, my God. And sure enough, Tulio has no thumb. Or he's dead now, but he right. had no thumb. Wow. So it is entirely possible. Okay, that it was not the same Tulio. No. I, <laughs> unless, Ours was from Brazil, and he was like 20. Yeah, no. This guy was from Italy, and he's about 20,000. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, you're right, yes. So, Detroit. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it, uh, it it came into its own around the turn of the 20th century. So, it sort of became Detroit. Right. You know, it was the yeah. turn of the 20th century when, actually, Henry Ford started Detroit Auto Company in 1898. And I didn't know this. His first company tanked. That's in pretty incredible because we just sort of associate him as sort of the father of the modern automobile. Yeah, but they built all of two cars before the company folded <laughs> in 1901. Like two models or two actual cars? I think two cars. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, which is almost like Tesla, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to build right. nine cars and then we're done. <laughs> Uh, but then in 1899, Ransom Olds, which is the best fake-sounding real name it I've ever heard. really is. Uh, he started the first major automobile plant in Detroit, and that's kind of where it went. So Oldsmobile is actually the one that was first successful. Yes. Yeah, Henry, oh, Henry Ford eventually did succeed. Well, because he Henry Ford was the one who came up with the assembly line. Yeah, I believe so. Because the, he realized how he'd failed with his first company. Right, yeah, I, that's, guess. I guess yeah, that's it. That makes sense. Uh, and so at that time in 1899, Detroit was actually the 13th largest city in, in the U.S. with a population of about 286,000, wow. which is still pretty big for yeah. the turn of the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, by 1950, that population had reached 1.5 million. Crazy. And it was then America's la fourth largest city with almost 300,000 manufacturing jobs. <laughs> That's insane. But what's really crazy is, or not crazy, but what's kind of interesting is as we're going to see, a lot of the haunting stories actually start in houses built around that time. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, like 1950? Yeah. Oh, sort of wow. suburbs built in the 50s. Because 50s, of course, we've talked about this in the LA episode. Yeah. This is when the suburb yeah. became a thing. You yeah. Know, with the post-war boom. Yeah. And, and they were building fast, cheap houses as quickly as they could. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we talked about this, um, about post-war alcoholism in England. Yes. Being a result of the population never really dealing with the stress no. of the war. Never no. dealing with the trauma of the no. war. No. The air raids and your neighbors being murdered and all the rest. Yeah, they just sort of, oh, oh well. That was life. And, yeah. and you stiff upper lip and you went back to work. Absolutely. And I kind of think that a lot of the post-war problems that rose up in America, I mean, I think in, in a lot of ways the post-war expansionism yeah. was a result of trying to ignore what happened? Well, and the trauma on the men who came back. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Because I know America didn't suffer the same sort of uh, deprivation that 
say England did. No, of course. Um, but they were then expected, and, and maybe that's why the fifties are so idealized and why everyone was trying so hard to make everything fresh and new and shiny, because you had these men coming back from war who were up for yeah, all, all intents and purposes but we're not allowed ex- to admit it no and we're, who were now expected to step into the roles of fathers and husbands and be good little worker bees and yeah i'm sure there's absolutely some truth to that yeah i know that it, it, it's really i mean i'm sure this is out there i don't read a lot of sociology texts so i'm sure this is out there shocker as, yeah i know yeah. right <laughs> i read a lot of books <laughs> books are for chumps <laughs> except for my book a strange little place oh. available everywhere fine books are sold but mostly amazon yeah <laughs> <clears throat> My, well, mine is widely distributed through Victoria. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, within and a Amazon. stone's throw of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Amazon. Uh, but yeah, so and it was around that time that things started to decline, right? It was, and it was a mixture of factors, and we're not going to get into it because it's not the scope of the show. No. Uh, but like I said, in 1958, or as I said before the break, in 1958, the Packard Motor Car Company went out of business. Right. And three and a half, three and a half million square feet Jesus. empty. And again, as far as I know- that's 60, the equivalent of 60 football fields. Wow. Of unused space. I read somewhere that there have been total in America 3,000 car companies <gasps> over the years. Really? I don't know if that's accurate, but I believe it was the number was 3,000 and something like four remain. Well, yeah, there's uh, GM, which encompasses a whole bunch. Yep. Ford. Chrysler. Um, Chrysler. And. Yeah, I don't know who the fourth one. I mean, Tesla, I guess now. I Those were all manufactured in the U.S. But AMC, I remember, went under when yep. I was a kid. Yeah, that's yep. it. Yeah, and and in March 2011, the Census Bureau announced that the population of Detroit had dropped to 713,000. Wow. That's the lowest in 100 years. That's substantial. And then, like I said earlier, again, on in 2013, they filed for bankruptcy, and they became the largest municipal bankruptcy filing in history, $18.5 billion. Of course, it's a very it's a very poor place now, right? And it's coming back. You know, they're they're they are seeing an increase in jobs in Central Detroit, but what they're seeing is a knock on effect of consolidation of high paying jobs in the city. Mm. So now the outer boroughs are poorer, the, oh, the wow. suburbs are poorer, and there are fewer jobs there. It's all in the city, but people can't afford to live in the city. So it's flipped around. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, as I understand it. Yeah. And so given all the poverty and all that inequality, it's not surprising that Detroit is a violent city. Yep. But, I mean, it might be, it's, it is surprising how violent it is. Uh, I had a look, and according to the most recent FBI crime stats, in 2016, it was actually America's most violent city. Yay, Detroit. <laughs> yeah, hooray. <laughs> Congratulations. And, yeah, <laughs> Detroit actually had more murders than Los Angeles, and Los Angeles has four times the population. So this wasn't like per capita. No, this was they have actual murders, murders. Than, De- than Los Angeles. Holy cow. Detroit is a dangerous place if you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time. All right. So scratch it off my summer travel list. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, though. Reading about the, the, the city as I did, I really wanted to go there. I know. I'm kind of drawn, too, but I don't want to get murdered, so that's <laughs> kind of outweighing That's that. a bummer, yeah. I mean, there's a bookstore that we'll mention later, if I remember, called John King Books. And oh, it's you a, just did. Uh, well, there's a story there. Oh, okay. But uh, we'll tell more, talk more about it. But it's four store, a four-story warehouse with one million books. Wow. How cool would that be? Well, it's a bit like Powell's in um, Portland. Have you been there? I have been to Powell's, yeah. I love Powell's. Powell's is cool. Yeah, Powell's is very there's, cool. Uh, what was the name? There's a really neat store bookstore in downtown LA that I went to when I was there uh, like a couple months ago. I was The paranormal section was actually in an old vault. Nice. Like big old bank vault. As if it needs to be contained. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Their selection of those books actually was really bad. Oh. Yes. Uh, was but, your book there? It was not. Oh. 
No, like I said, Amazon. Mostly Amazon. Yes, That's the only place you're going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Rub that in. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but like, and as I said, we, we talked already about the the empty space. Yeah. You know, anywhere from say 25 to 40 square miles are estimated to be empty. And if it is 40 square miles, which again includes the parks, right. that's big enough to hold the city of San Francisco. Holy cats. Empty space. Wow. Which is a terrifying thought. Because that's a lot of space to that's be alone huge. in. Like that's huge. That's a massive amount of land. Imagine how vulnerable you are. Well, and it's not like it's just flattened, empty land. It's houses and ruins and- That's it. Yeah. I mean, in 2015, uh, it was reported that there was they had a program to knock down abandoned or damaged buildings. Right. And so in 2015, it was announced they'd already taken down 7,000 of them. But there were an estimated 80,000 left. Oh, Jesus. 80, not even 10%. Not even 10%. Wow. We've talked about this idea on the show before is that when you have that much empty space or any amount of space that is empty, things settle in there. Yes. And not just crazy homeless guys who want to stab you. No. Or like we heard in that last episode or the trucker episode, the crazy barking dog man. Yes. But, you know, things that you cannot see. Well, because energy will fill a void, right? Exactly. And that makes sense. Yeah. And as we're going to learn, it seems like that has been happening in Detroit for a long time. Cool. The first story is actually called, uh, not called, but it's about the hag. Okay. And it's reported by the, De- pardon me, by the Detroit Free Press right. in 1963. Oh, so like an old school Yeah, story. it's an old school story. Yeah. yeah. The first two we have, one actually I think is 1904 and the other is 1963. Okay, cool. Uh, and according to the New Post, in late January of 63, the Adams family. The Adams family. Uh, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's awesome. I looked it up because I thought that yeah. this sounds like bullshit. Yeah. But the Adams family didn't air, the TV show didn't air until September the next year. Okay. So it, it they yeah. didn't get the name from there. Okay, cool. Good. All right. But according to the Detroit Free Press, the Adams family, uh, Father William, wife Lily, and their two kids, had been renting a modest gray home at 5508 Martin Street in Detroit for about a year. And for the first eight months, nothing about the home was at all unusual. Right. Uh, William worked the midnight shift at the Cadillac plant, so he slept in the house's tiny back bedroom, far away from the noise of playing children. Uh, the room was unremarkable, just like the rest of the house, except for, a fact, except for the fact that the family dog did not like being in there. We locked it in there one night, Lillian said. It nearly went mad until we let it out. That would be a pretty good... Bad sign. Thing. Yeah, it'd certainly be uh, on my radar, shall we say. But again, we're in the 50s. We're papering over the sadness. <clears throat> Absolutely. There is no real sadness here. Uh, then in August of 1962, William's grandmother came to visit and stayed in the back room. She lasted one night. Wow. Uh, according to William, she told us she heard sounds all night like someone was trying to get in. She wouldn't sleep there again. Don't blame her. I don't blame her. Yep. Then in February, this is just before uh, the story was reported, Okay, William's cousin Patterson came to Detroit for work. He was to pick up a car and deliver it to a buyer down south. So the Adams family told Patterson he could sleep in the spare room. <laughs> and he said, he said, nobody told me anything about the room except I could sleep there. <laughs> and I'm thinking they didn't like Patterson. No, no. He was probably the wife's cousin, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And uh, he did not get much sleeping done. You'll be unsurprised to hear. Mm -hmm. He went to bed shortly after William went to work at 1130 at night, and everything started a few minutes later. Wow. Patterson said, I was only in bed for a couple minutes facing the wall, and then something rolled me over. He said, don't ask me to describe the feeling. All I know was that it rolled me over, and then I saw it standing outside the bedroom door. At first, I thought it was Lillian. Oh, so he's going to get lucky. <laughs> yeah. <that's right. laughs> it was not Lillian. He did not get lucky. Oh, okay. Uh, what Patterson was seeing was a woman with long hair standing with her back to him, looking into the kitchen. 
Something about that vision just got right into his head. And he screamed for Lillian, then jumped out of bed, and then all the lights went out. Oh, not cool. And Patterson just ran. Yep. When the lights came back on, he was in the kitchen with Lillian, who had been curling her hair when she heard him scream. And as the two stood there in the kitchen, they heard a horrible groaning noise come from the back bedroom. And the kitchen filled with the noxious smell that made them both sick. Nope. They didn't sleep again that night. Again, surprising. Yeah. And they were waiting up for William when he got home from work in the morning. (laughs) Why are you two in the same bed? Oh, well, we were really scared. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's the old trick. There was a ghost, William. There was a ghost. There was a ghost. We were afeard. (laughs) (laughs) An unused word. Mm, I I think we should use it. I am afeard. I am afeard. I use it all the time. (laughs) For his part, William didn't particularly believe in ghosts, so he met the story with what you might call mild skepticism. (laughs) Uh, But all the same, the police were called, and of course, nothing was found. And the cops went and said, oh, they were afeard. eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, William decided to see for himself. You know, he, he again, he didn't believe it. Well, so good he, for him. Yeah, yeah. But how could you not believe it? I mean, your wife and your cousin are so scared. They're waiting up for you when you come home. They describe what happened and you're like, mm, I don't really believe the two of you and I have no respect for what you're telling me. I, I encountered this a lot. I <laughs> really? Mean, yo, yeah. I mean, I, I listen to a lot of, somehow, um, I listen to a lot of atheist podcasts. Right. And zero respect for any of this stuff. Doesn't matter what you tell them. Doesn't matter what just happened in front of your eyes. No, but it's his family. Yeah, doesn't matter. It's like saying to them, I think you're both idiots and I value nothing you're telling me. Yeah. Come on. It, 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 it's it, it's weird because it seems like this is the one subject where it's okay to do that. Yeah, and I mean, that's not unusual. I've heard about marriages like that where the wife, usually the wife, yep. um, is experiencing something and the husband just absolutely refuses to believe it. And long term, it has a pretty big effect on the marriage. Well, yeah, because I mean, I, I know from my experience, since I opened up to all this stuff, it has become such a major part of my life. Right. I cannot imagine having a partner who just hand waved it away. No. It, it just, it, it baffles, it, it beggars belief. I, yeah. I, it would be such a hard situation to it, exist. It would in. be undermining of the very foundation of your relationship. Sure. I don't know how it would work. So that's why I'm just like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think there was anything to it. So I'm going to see for myself. Yeah, screw you guys. Yeah. So, I don't believe you. So we, yeah, he, he slept in the bed cause he'd always slept in there in the daytime. Right. So he decided to try it one night. He got into bed and the only light came from a street light outside and it was cast dim gray by the window. Right. Before he could even fall asleep, William heard a noise. He turned over, and there it was, a face inches away from his. Not cool. The eyes just seemed to stare past him, and the mouth moved as the words should come out, but all he could hear was a hissing sound. <laughs> and that's when the stench hit him. Oh. And so he was hysterical with terror. Good. He ran. <laughs> yeah, I know. William. Take that, just son <laughs> yeah. of a bitch. Uh, he, he, he was full on a feared and yep. he ran from the room and within hours they had taken their essentials over to a neighbor's house and days later they moved in with Lillian's parents in wow. Dearborn and only ever came back in the daytime and only then long enough to get what was absolutely necessary. Wow, eh? Their rent was paid for at least another month and uh, according to William, I don't care. Yeah. I'll never stay in that house again. Wow. Yeah. And articles, the article says Martin street, but I can only find a Martin road okay. in Detroit now. So I, I tried punching the address in and the houses are modest and there is really a heavy air of gloom and misery about them. Hmm. So I, I don't know if that's actual haunting or just the way Detroit is now. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, I don't know. But it was- uh, I'm glad William got it because that's not cool. No. But you notice when William got it, it was like, oh, we, we're moving now. Yeah, that's like- right. <laughs> but that's such a dude thing, right? It like, is. Oh, it's my problem now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm out of here about Yeah. That. No, for sure. Interesting. Um, going even further back, there's the haunting of Western High. Yes. 
Built in 1898, Western High at 1500 Scotton Street was the kind of imposing brick monstrosity one expects a turn-of-the-century <laughs> school to be. Even without ghosts, I think it would be a rather frightening place to be. And it is gone now, right? It is. Burned down. 1935. Yes. Western International High School was built in its place, and it's still operational, but this story takes place back in 1904 when it was still Western High. Funny story. Uh, I found an article saying that the principal... Uh, the, at, at the time, the principal of Western International was indicted for stealing money from the school. Really? I believe that was with, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was embezzling. Weasel. That school has had a hard time. No kidding. Anyways, please continue. <laughs> I was going to say this is a quick story, but it's kind of fun. So back in 1904, William Weber was the night watchman of Western High. And though he was what you might call a bit of a grouch and a lot of a skeptic, Weber started to have trouble on his rounds. Weber would be all alone in a darkened hallway when he would hear voices ahead of him, then behind him, then all around him. Windows would sometimes rattle in their panes, and most tellingly, doors, which he would leave locked, he would return to find unlocked and wide open. According to one anonymous source, there may be another name for it, but the fact remains that there has been a mysterious somebody who has created no end of bother at that school. Such was the terror that all doors but one was bolted. When the Detroit Free Press interviewed Weber at his home, he admitted to the noises and doors opening, but refused to even entertain the idea of ghosts. Instead, he blamed, at different points, other night watchmen or handymen. Of course. Even though he was there by himself. Yeah, yeah, no. The, that's the logical explanation. The other handyman's a ninja. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just a school either. Next to Western High was, and still is, Clark Park, which I just enjoy saying, a popular community gathering spot. At the same time as the poor William Wiggins was having his nights upended by high strangeness, so too were teenagers in the park. Reportedly, a pair of lovers canoodling on a bench had their bench had their bench upended by invisible hands. Okay, so I love that word, and I love that there is now Casper the cock blocking ghost. <laughs> now is he blocking them because he wasn't getting any, or because if he... I was a ghost, I would. Yeah. <laughs> also reported were low groans and shrieks, allegedly coming from underground. But that kind of sounds like either a teenagers screwing with each other, or b teenagers screwing each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So either way, who knows? Th there was actually one story. Story uh, that I, that we didn't include, but uh, there was one teenage girl who was allegedly so afeard uh, of those screams she fainted from fright. And I just sort of imagine she must be the human equivalent to those fainting ghosts. Yeah, <laughs> because it's just some noises. Okay, you know what though? I had an experience where I understand the term "frozen in fear." I was about twelve years old. My parents were at a conference at a university in Saskatchewan, and we. And me and two friends discovered we could just take off from the childcare area and nobody would pursue us. Right. So we spent that whole week dutifully going to the childcare area and then within 10 minutes we were gone. And we ran the tunnels. There's tunnels all under the university. Oh, cool. And we ran the tunnels all the time. So one day we were tearing through one of the buildings and we were running because we'd heard someone coming because it was summer. So the university was pretty much abandoned. What we didn't know was they were testing the fire alarms. Oh, man. And when the fire lines go off, all the fire doors close automatically. Right. I didn't know that. So I'm running through this underground hall. My friends had gone off ahead, and I was, like, running to catch up. The fire alarm went off, and the doors in front of me closed, and I was absolutely 100% convinced it was because we were running through the halls. Of course. Like, they were coming yeah, to though, kill us now. Yeah, that would be your assumption. And I can remember literally unable to move. Oh, man. I couldn't move. I didn't faint, but I... Every muscle in my body tensed up, and then, 
let go and I, I started running again and went through the door. So frozen in fear, I get that now. Oh, fair, and fair I think enough. if you were a little more high strung, passing out from that, from that surge of adrenaline and right. terror, <laughs> I could see it happening. All right. So, well, I, you know. I retract my statement, long dead teenage girl. Thank you. I, she appreciates I'm it. I'm sure she does. The most dramatic sighting was reported by 19-year-old Albert F. Smith, who lived on Scott and Street not far from Western High. He claims that one night around 1 a.m. he saw a dark figure walking away from the front door of the school. And since he was familiar with and since he was familiar with the night watchman, Smith assumed that's who it was. But as the figure drew closer, Smith saw the man was much older than the caretaker. Feeling suspicious, Smith followed the man as he walked north towards Dix Avenue and was shocked when as soon as he was directly across from the spring-fed Clark Lake, the man darted into the water. Thinking he was seeing a suicide in progress, Smith ran to help, but when he got to the water's edge, there was no sign anyone had ever been there. Smith was stumped, so he decided to retrace his steps right back to the front door of Western High. It was locked tight. The final shock came as Smith decided to go home. As he turned away from the locked front door, he felt some unseen force strike him across the face. He thought it was whatever spirit he had seen returning to the school. Interestingly enough, that reminds me of a story that I found. It uh, wasn't really long enough to kind of do on its own, mm-hmm. uh, but it was from the Detroit suburb of Warren, and it kind of ends in a similar way. But before we get to that, I, I just want to say, what do you think that is? Because um, the idea, to me, I'm thinking some kind of natural thing, some kind of cause, okay. Because it, it, it's almost like it. Like he thinks it went back to the school. I'm wondering if it went back to the water, right? You know, yeah. because we've talked about nature spirits, and nature things, spirits yeah. using water as elementals. Yeah, yeah, entry and exit points. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Um, I wonder whatever smacked him across the face, like, why would it do that? Because he followed it? Yeah, or unless maybe, I mean, there's so many questions, but maybe there was more of them leaving. Okay, yeah. Maybe it wasn't just one leaving. Maybe there was, maybe he only saw one. Yeah. Or there was some kind of confluence of factors that only allowed him to see one. I get that. But there were more. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I tried to, when I read this, I thought, well, that's, that's a great story. So I went to the map of Warren Western International, and I tried to sort of follow his path, and I couldn't find any kind of lake nearby, and I thought, okay, so this is bullshit. But then I found out that Clark Lake was actually turned, uh, was dug up, oh, and they built a section of the interstate. As you do. Yeah, over it. Yeah. And it got me thinking about what the other stories we're going to be talking about, is that I wonder, and I've wondered this for a while, but I hadn't thought about it specific to Detroit, how much of the mass psychosis in that right. country, and, right. and, 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 and psychosis isn't the right word, I'm not a doctor, yeah. but so much of the, the craziness, so much of the misery yep. is caused by the fact that they just roughshod, built over places that were never meant to have people living there. Well, yeah, that and the fact that they really fucked up the energy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Right? Yeah, yeah. They, they just, yeah. with no respect to what's meant to be there. No. They just, oh no, this is progress. Built houses over swamps and- Exactly. Yeah, no, I, so, I, mean, I totally get that. How many of these entry and exit points have been have been turned into suburbs and interstates? Tract homes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely. Just makes you wonder. And no, it makes sense. So going back to that suburb I mentioned, um, I'm just, I'm going to do this story really quick. I came home late one night around midnight and parked my car in the detached garage in back of our house. As usual, I rolled down the garage door and locked it. After exiting the garage, I faced the garage's entry-exit door and locked that too. I'm not a person who's scared of the dark, and I definitely don't frighten easily. As I turned around to walk into my backyard so I could get in the house, I bumped into what I thought was a person. It was big enough and solid enough to be a person. My first thought was that someone was in my backyard, and I ran into them, possibly trying to break into the garage. Instinctively, I pushed back, but no longer felt a solid body. 
I ran to my back door where I watched the backyard while trying to put a key in my door, which is a pain when you're scared. <laughs> yep. We had a small yard that was surrounded by a high privacy fence, which would make it difficult for a person to get in or out quickly, and I never saw or heard a noise. Hmm. What scared me so much was that I could feel the solid body. Have you ever turned around and, and had someone was standing mm-hmm. right behind you and you walked into them? That's exactly mm-hmm. how I felt. The impact was enough to knock me back a step. And it probably wouldn't have shaken me up so much if it was actually a person. At least then yeah. I could explain it. Yeah, no kidding. And the person goes on to say, uh, this is the same house where I frequently heard my name being called at all hours of the day and night. It wasn't just my name, but it was, it was my nickname that only my close family calls me. There are many times I thought my mom was calling out to me because I was up late watching TV or she had come home early and needed my help carrying groceries. Every time I checked, there was no one home or the whole family was asleep. Yikes. Years later, I found out both of my parents had experienced their names being called too. Yeah, and see, parents never tell their kids this stuff. No, of course. <laughs> and so rather than, oh, we're not going to tell Jimmy because he'll be scared, it's uh, we're not going to tell Jimmy and Jimmy feel isolated alone and possibly questioning his sanity. Well, there was a story. I think it may have been from Victoria. Uh, I can't remember where I found it. But there's a, a, a little boy didn't like living in the house. Weird stuff happened, but they never really, he never really sort of elaborated on the little stuff. Mm-hmm. But then one day his dad was doing whatever and his dad called him. Right. So we went and his dad was down in the basement. So he heard his dad's voice. He's like, okay, I'm coming down. And the basement was quite large. Right. And his dad seemed to be standing in the far corner, at the very farthest corner, we're just beyond where the, 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 the ball yeah. would reach. Yeah. And he said, hey, Jimmy, you know, come over and give me a hand. Yeah. Okay, dad. And he starts going down the stairs but something doesn't feel right. Right. Something doesn't feel right. And he gets to the bottom of the stairs and he sees that he can't quite see his dad. He's just out of sight. And he says, dad, can you come over here? And he goes, no, you come over here. And he thought, no. And darted back up the stairs. Jesus. Said, mom, dad's being weird. And she goes, what do you mean? He says, well, he's in the basement. He's doing this because your father's out playing golf. Oh my God. Yeah. And apparently after that happened, when his dad got home from golf, he heard a frenzied conversation and they moved shortly after. Really? He found out when he was older that they had experienced things too. <sighs> and we're going to see other stories like that as we talk about Detroit. There, This is a common theme. And I get that. You want to protect your kids. You don't want them to be scared, but you're not helping them. No, I feel like there must be a better way to draw it out. Yeah. There must be a better yeah. way to say, hey, Timmy, let's talk about things we see in the house. Yeah. Well, there's daddy and the secretary. Not that, not that. <laughs> because we're, we're sort of back in the history, there's uh, a couple really interesting examples of unusual spiritualism. And to be fair, spiritualism, I mean, after 1917, the Spanish influenza, World War One, all right. that stuff, spiritualism was huge and pretty normal. It was pretty oh, sure. pedestrian in terms of how we don't look at it the same way now, but back then it was huge. And it's... It's fascinating. Oh, there was it's um, so fascinating. This guy here, uh, back in 1923, there was a man named G.W. Hurley, and he opened the Universal Hager Spiritual Association. Of course he did. I don't know why it's Hager. Who knows? But yeah, so he was a spiritualist. When a Protestant minister criticized his, uh, we'll call it a church, <laughs> Hurley declared Protestantism a religion based upon black magic and witchcraft, <laughs> and that history pl- proved his claim. That's what the crazies always say. He also started referring to himself as the second Christ. <laughs> but what's great about it is it, the newspapers where I found this, they refer to him in the headlines as second, but it's spelled 2D. <laughs> so it looks like 2D Christ. So it's sort of like, like Paper Mario, but with a delusional madman. <laughs> That's awesome. At the height of his powers, 2D Jesus <laughs> had like 31,000 followers. Wow. 
Um, there's another person who actually began a denomination that's still around, Amy Semple McPherson. Have you heard much about her? The name sounds familiar, but I don't oh, know. Oh, my about. Lord. She is fascinating. Really? And yeah, she started um, the Foursquare Gospel Movement, which is still a church that's around. Right. Um, and she was unique because she said that women could and should be spiritual leaders and everyone else was not saying that of course um and she ended up with this massive church in la um i think at one point they had two hundred thousand people who were really yeah and they made a ton of money and then um at some point she was very dramatic she went through a few husbands and at some point she uh declared herself what now i'm trying to recall this i just read it she went missing and when she re-emerged uh, a couple weeks later, she said she'd been kidnapped uh, and she'd been held in this cabin, and, and but they'd released her. But it was noted at the same time, one of her stage managers, a man who was married as well, uh-huh. um, also went missing in that oh, two-week period. They kidnapped two of them. But yeah. <laughs> and that- um, It's like Noah's Ark. You want to have a complete set. Yeah. And that possibly there may have been a little more to her kidnapping than- because they never found out who did it and they were- press any charges never wanted any money no 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 weird Mm. um but she was incredibly popular for many many years and it just reminded me of that guy was thirty one thousand (laughs) followers uh there was one other thing and i i remember most of it um but there was a spiritualist named thomas bradford okay who was many things over the course of his life he was an engineer and a couple other things the father and eight is enough tom bradford nope okay it was a tv show okay you're probably too young yes i am you don't look it, but you probably. Oh, ooh, the claws come out. <laughs> sorry, Tom Thomas Bradford. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Thomas Bradford. Thomas Bradford was an engineer, and he became a spiritualist. Okay, and he spent time researching the idea. I, mean, I don't know how you do this. The idea of life after death. Right. And he became convinced that he had figured it out. And so one day, they went into his house. He had killed himself. Oh. During the investigation, they discovered he had made an arrangement with a writer to try and contact him after his death. Right. That writer, she had these seances regularly, couldn't seem to get anything. But then another psychic came forward and claimed that he had come to her and that he was so discombobulated in the afterlife because he had killed himself, because that is an unnatural way to die. Right. That he was unable to specifically find the person he was looking for. Right. And so she said, you know, he's out there, but he's having trouble coming through. And then finally, this woman who he had originally intended to be his recipient claims that she, during the last seance, she had a fit. And afterwards she claimed, she wrote what she claimed was his statement from beyond. Right. And his statement was basically. Oops. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, no, he didn't regret it. He said, I don't, I don't regret it. He said, when I died, it was like I was still alive and it took me a minute to realize I was dead. Right. But he said, all I can see are formless shapes. I can't see full people yet. Hmm. And uh, th- there was a little bit more, but that's the gist of it. And of course, there's huge, de- or was huge debate at the time as to whether or not this there was any legitimacy to this. Well, so that reminds me of Harry Houdini, who I was left just thinking the code about word, yep. right? Left the code word, I think, with his wife. Yep. Um, and she was to hold seances. And, and I think Edgar Casey got it. Yes. And, yeah. But then she back, she walked it back. She said, well, maybe not. Yeah. Which people do. I mean, of course. I, I've done that after yeah. paranormal experience. Of course. Now that we've done the historical stuff, we're going to go to the some of the present day stories we found. Cool. And some of the present day stories were actually uh, kind of harrowing. Oh. So uh, I'm going to let you take the first one. In the late 1980s, my family bought a brand new home in the suburbs of Detroit. I was born in the late 90s, and ever since I can remember, the house had a gloomy and depressing feeling. Like no matter what room you were in, someone was always watching and you just couldn't escape. The first thing I remember happening to me when I was four or so 
I was woken up by a sudden poke or jab in my back. At the time, I was too young to really understand what it was and just proceeded to fall back asleep. With the experiences that happened later on in my life, I realize now that this wasn't my imagination and it creeps me the hell out. From the time that incident occurred to when I was 10 years old, the only other odd thing that would happen was a recurring dream in which I was unable to walk or speak while what I now realized was a shadow person slowly approached me from the basement stairs. No matter what, every time I had the dream, I couldn't look away. Consequently, I was terrified to go in the basement and until the day we moved would not go unless forced to or accompanied by somebody else. Years later, after we'd moved out of the house, I told my family about the dreams and that's when I learned my sister and my mother had been having dreams very much like it, but they kept it to themselves. Again, yep. Jesus. After 2008, the activity started picking up. One night around 2 or 3 a.m., I was woken up by both of my parents wandering the house, opening doors, turning lights on and off, checking closets, etc. They wouldn't tell us what was wrong at the time, but the next day they admitted that my mom had seen a black figure standing in her bedroom doorway and was certain someone had broken in. Of course, they'd found the house locked and no intruders anywhere. Another night, my dad was out of town on business and my sister was at a friend's house, so it was just me and my mom at home. I was in bed and she was in the living room watching television. Out of nowhere, I heard loud bangs coming from the garage, like somebody was hitting the door extremely hard. It had been snowing that night and we'd not cleared the driveway, so if anyone had been at the door, we would have seen footprints, but there were none. The next event happened to my sister and I the same morning, just an hour apart. My parents were on a cruise, and my grandmother was staying at the house to watch over us. After her second night with us, I came down to eat breakfast. It was early and still dark out, when I saw from the kitchen movement in the living room and heard what sounded like the footsteps of someone pacing back and forth. I assumed it was my grandmother and didn't think twice about it, but as it got lighter outside and I got ready to leave for school, I realized my grandmother was not in the living room. She was still in my parents' bedroom hooked up to her CPAP machine. Yikes. When I got home from school, I told my sister what I'd seen, and she said she'd seen the same thing, but knew from the get-go that Grandma was sleeping. I told her, thanks for the warning, dick. <laughs> <laughs> In 2009, we finally decided to list the house for sale, and my sister has a friend who starts coming around, claiming to be a medium, and that she feels a presence in the house. They decided to use a Ouija board to contact whoever's hanging around, and supposedly made contact with a neutral spirit that claimed to be neither good nor bad, and said there were six others. I really don't know what that means, or if that's even possible being the house was custom built by my parents, but all I know is that things got worse after that day. <laughs> Usually does. Yep. Start stirring them up. I started experiencing things I'd never felt before. Depression, thoughts of suicide, and that recurring dream I talked about earlier came back. I would hear breathing in my ear, would be constantly cold and unable to get comfortable. My mom and sister also started hearing this breathing as well. It happened so often I started getting used to it. And as it became more frequent, it also became longer. It would move from the corner of my room right up next to my ear. One night, I got fed up and I told it to stop, which it did, only to have it resume a few minutes later. This time, I was much louder and more insistent when I told it to stop. And I remember that time, it got louder and closer to me like it was angry. At this point, I refused to be alone in the house and started spending as much time as possible at my buddy's house, hoping somebody would buy the house so we could move. During our final days in the house, I genuinely believed the entity or whatever it was, or they were, was aware that we were moving out, and they were not very happy about it. The basement door, which was made of a heavy wood, slammed in the middle of the night, waking up everybody in the house. It was absolutely impossible for this thing to slam on its own. 
I started sleeping with headphones so I wouldn't hear the breathing. Now the day finally arrived, we started moving out things, and it went smoothly, and we got almost everything. The new house feels so much better, and after eight years of living here, have never felt uncomfortable or had a bad experience, and my depression has subsided. One last thing. The day after we moved, our old neighbor, whom my mom was pretty close to, asked when we were moving out. My mom told her we'd moved the previous day, and we would be back to pick up a remainder of our things. To which the neighbor replied, well, the lights were on at 2 a.m., and when I turned my computer off around 3 to go to bed, they were off, so I assumed you were still there. <laughs> that. <laughs> All aboard the nope train. <laughs> In the eight years since we moved, that house has sold three different times, and while it's probably not related, the 35-year-old man who bought the house from us died in his sleep in 2012. Yikes. That's heavy. That's heavy. And, and again, I think it interests me that the person says it's a custom-built house, therefore it can't be haunted. Yeah, wrong. Yeah, and it just takes me back to what we were saying yeah. about the possibility of the land. Yeah, oh, 100% the land. I've been watching, I told you that show I love, it's my guilty pleasure, The Dead Files. Right. And a lot of times it's not the house. Right. It's the land. Um, there's a incredibly cruel farmer who owned that land, and there was a feud, and he got shot, and he shot some people. It wasn't the house. It was the land. Yeah. Um, a factory blew up. Uh, about two miles away from where this other house was in the show. Oh, okay. And because she kept seeing burnt people and dead people and um, people who were confused and, and didn't know what was going on, and it was all from the factory, and they were kind of leaking through into the house. Oh, jeez. So Interesting. The suicide thing caught mm-hmm. me as interesting because that's really pretty strong. Yeah. And it reminded me of a story that Anthony told me the last time I went out for beers with him. Oh, cool. And I, I talked to him the other night. I got permission to tell it. And I, I have his story here, which I'm going to read. Okay. The area he's referring to is here in Victoria. It's right. called the Rail Yards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a housing development, uh, quite a new housing development that's still being built in yeah. stages. Uh, but it looks very nice. It's in a, a part of town that's being revitalized. So it's the last place you would expect to find something paranormal. Now. Right. He says, as you probably know, I'm not a suicidal person or self-harming. I don't suffer from any depression or any other mental health issues. In just one area of the Rail Yards... As I worked there the first time, I was assaulted by sadness and mental anguish. Shortly, I was convinced that killing myself was a great way to end it. But still, the reasonable side of my brain was thinking, what the hell is this? I don't want to die. And so that's how the remainder of my day went. As soon as I left the area, it was like a blink. The thoughts ended. Wow. I didn't even think about what happened anymore. Until the next time I went back. The invasive need to commit suicide came back immediately like I'd never left. The thoughts and images of hurting myself weighed a ton and almost made time slow down, dragging the day along. I have a tool with me that is designed to scrape windows, and it's basically a six-inch long razor blade. See, the voice told me, just drag that down your wrist and the day won't be so long. And then I was needed on a rooftop of a nearby tall building, and I could see from where I was, this is placed in my head, Yeah. perfect. I was, the, the voice said to me, you can jump. It was just before Father's Day 2017, I was thinking of my son, he's better off without you, the voices in my head said. Wow. I tried to think about my upcoming wedding just a couple months away. She's settling. You're the best of bad choices, the voices said. Wow. He said, I managed to get through the rest of work in that nasty twilight zone. And then I headed over to the adjacent building where I was needed on the roof. Once I actually got on the roof, I looked down at the area and realized all those thoughts were gone. Like I was above them. I felt no need or desire to jump or harm myself in any way. Hmm. So I called my boss and I said, I'm never going in there again. Wow. And he said- That's like a full on psychological assault. Oh Yeah. He said, it's a, it's a pretty crazy location for me. In fact, it is the only place I won't go back to, at least alone. And he said, I love the idea of staring things down, but I got to admit, at this place, I blinked. Wow. And I'll say that. Anthony's a tough son of a Yeah, bitch. he is. No, And definitely. for this to have been able to get past his defenses, yeah. whatever it is, must be incredibly powerful. Wow. 
And I worked in that area briefly back in, I want to say 09 or 2010. And I remember the days taking a very long time, but I don't remember if there, if the depression was, because I'm constantly, you know, in some, some form of misery, (laughs) some form of unmedicated misery. Self-induced misery. misery, Yeah. 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 But, uh, I don't remember if it was worse there, but I definitely remember the day just dragging. Interesting. eh? Yeah. Hmm. So don't hang out there. Okay. Good to know. I won't. All right. So back to Detroit. Uh, this next story is a little bit lighter. Yay. Um, yeah. It's it's a little bit historical. It takes place in 79, but okay. since most of the stories we found from Detroit were like the one we just told, involving shadow people and sadness, I thought, hey, this one seems nice. Let's, <laughs> let's just toss this in. <clears throat> it was in early 1979, as I recall. I had worked at a large Midwestern zoological park for 11 years as a zookeeper. It was a civil service position with a good retirement and decent income. It was a good job if you liked that sort of thing. I had outgrown the position, although I had been very interested in reptiles, which was the area where I spent most of my life. Political changes in leadership had occurred in the city, and major adjustments were being made in all city departments. It had also been made clear that some employees should not expect a promising future. Given my loss of professional interest and shifting political winds, my course was clear. It was time to move on. Although I worked full-time and had a part-time job, I had gone to college at night. I graduated just in time to start putting in job applications. I also maintained my military status by remaining in the reserve. My commanding officer had applied for a position in government and suggested I apply as well, which I did. I also applied to return to active duty for training in a restricted specialized field and was accepted. I resigned my position at the zoo. My last day at work came and at the end of the day, I crossed the parking lot on foot. My destination was a time clock that I was required to punch out. As I made the 60-yard walk, I began to have doubts about quitting my job. I was married and had two young children. I had grown up in poverty and well remembered how hard that experience was. I didn't want my children to suffer if my plans didn't work out the way I'd hoped, and I began to think about withdrawing my resignation when the unexpected happened, taking me by complete surprise. A hand shoved me forward. It was across the width of my back. I could feel the fingers and palm, wrist up, fingertips down. Hmm. It was not so hard as to make me lose my footing, but it certainly urged me forward without any doubt. I could feel the material of my jacket compress against my back. I snapped around to see who the prankster was. I expected to see the guys laughing over their last day at a work practical joke. There was no one there. I turned and headed for the time clock, my mind trying to grasp this in some logical way. It happened again. The second shove not so firm as the first, but definitely there. I glanced over my shoulder at nothing and speeded up. I took this as a favorable sign and never looked back at the job I left behind. As I write this, the image of a mother duck hurting an errant duckling comes to mind. (laughs) I had been moved along in a no-nonsense way in a specific direction for my own good. Everything worked out favorably. I had a far better career than had I stayed a zookeeper. The folks who remained city employees ended up with a failed retirement system that paid 10 cents on the earned retirement dollar. Oh, no. Yeah. I feel badly for them, and I know that I was lucky to have escaped their fate. I have no idea who or what pushed me that day in the parking lot, but I'm glad they did. And that's kind of reminds me of the story you told about being pushed out of the way of the moving truck. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's interesting we're hearing, pardon me, interesting that we're hearing now these stories of actual being moved along. Yeah, absolutely. Physically being moved along. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this next story, which Ian is going to read, has some similarities to the story of 5508 Martin Street, uh, but it's not quite as in your face. My family's house was built in 1955 in a suburb of Detroit, and we moved in right after the house was finished, we being my father, mother, and my then one-year-old self. When I was about four, our aunt and uncle came to visit and brought along two of my cousins, each of whom were slightly older than me. One of my cousins and I slept on the couch in the living room, she at one end and me in the other. We were little, so we fit with plenty of room. All my life, I have habitually woken up in the middle of the night for no apparent reason, and it happened that night, same as always. 
The only difference was that as I lay there in the dark, I could see in the glow of the streetlight coming through the window dark human silhouettes moving about the kitchen table. There was no detail, no indication of whether or not they were male or female, just humanoid silhouettes. There was no talking either, just the sound of chairs sliding on linoleum as these figures moved about oblivious to my presence. I remember thinking they might be my parents and my aunt and uncle playing cards, but the darkness and lack of conversation didn't fit. Too young to really be scared, I watched for a while until I fell back asleep. The next morning, there was no sign of anything unusual happening. I spent the next 12 years of my life in this house and had a few more strange occurrences there, but never anything like that. So this next story is another example of the, the haunted suburban house where one of the parents understands something is happening, but the other mm, won't believe. Yeah. We want to thank the Reddit user Shotgun Selling Sloth for letting us use this story. <laughs> he, uh, we've rewritten a little bit to make it uh, just sort of for our purposes, but we've left the story intact in terms of what actually happened, and I, I hope you like the way we've presented it here. So thank you very much for, uh, for giving us a story. At an early age, both me and my brother started seeing things we couldn't explain, but we got used to it. Then, in middle school, things got worse. One night, I don't remember exactly when, I woke up and couldn't fall back to sleep. So as I laid on my back staring at the ceiling, my nightlight cast a bit of a glow, but it was otherwise dark. For seemingly no reason at all, I felt my stomach turn and looked through my open bedroom door to the darkness of my parents' room. When the figure stepped out of the doorway, I at first thought it was my father. But this man seemed to be almost seven feet tall, wearing a brown jacket and brimmed hat. He walked, well, it was almost a glide, right towards me. I hid under my covers and screamed for my parents. When the light came on, I told them, but they just said it was a nightmare. These so-called nightmares happened four or five times, and my mom started to believe that it wasn't just a dream. My father, however, wasn't convinced that the brown jacket man was real. Years later, when my brother and I were in high school, my father made huge changes to the house. He built a large back room, added an entire second floor, which was then shared between my brother and I. The biggest room was our bedroom, and we had a walk-in closet slash bathroom, and it was here in this room where we had the most frightening encounter of our lives. One night I was laying in bed trying to sleep, when I heard what sounded like the voice of a man but sped up and backwards. I'd heard this before in our home, but this time it was definitely coming from behind the closed door of our closet bathroom. My brother piped up, dude. Do you hear that? I was so relieved he was awake, but still couldn't believe he heard it too. We sat up in our beds and the voice kept talking. The voice was soon joined by footsteps. I leaned over my bed rail so I could see the closet door and the handle was shaking, like something was trying to get out. My brother, whose bed was facing the closet, looked as if he was going to jump out of his bed. And then the door opened. What do you see? I asked. But he said he couldn't see anything. Then slam! The door whipped shut. He jumped out of bed and immediately turned on the lights. We stood outside the closet, not knowing what to do. We finally got up our courage and opened the door. But when we checked the closet in the bathroom, nothing was in there, and the voice had ceased. The cats were nowhere to be found. The windows were all shut. We just couldn't figure out why any of this had happened. I got back into bed, and my brother stood next to me as we talked about possible explanations for what we'd seen. Suddenly, from the corner of my eye, I saw what almost looked like a white cloud shoot up under our futon. My brother must have seen it too because we both froze up instantly. We slowly made our way over to the futon and worked up the nerve to look underneath it. But there was nothing there. As the days and months went on, the door handle would occasionally flip out again, and the door would open and slam. 
My brother and I weren't the only ones who witnessed this. Some friends did as well. The hat man also made several appearances in the middle of our room. Sometimes I would hear a little girl's voice in my ear. All she ever said was hi. My dad was always skeptical about our stories and would tell us, why would there be ghosts upstairs? I just built it. My mom became a believer one day when I stayed home sick from school. We were watching a movie in the family room, which was right under me in my brother's bedroom, and we heard coming from upstairs, the closet door fly open, footsteps racing across the room, and then back to the closet, where the door slammed again. We moved out of the house in the late 2000s, but the hat man followed, and so did some of the activity. No reverse talking ghosts, though. That's something. Yeah. The last time I saw the hat man was in 2012 or 2013. I was experimenting with lucid dreaming and astral travel, and one night I woke with sleep paralysis. The hat man was at the foot of my bed, and staring down on either side of him were two children, both of them dressed as if they were from the early 1900s. The little boy, who was maybe 10 or 11, wore a suit, and the little girl, who was a few years younger, wore a white dress. My first thought was, that's the girl that keeps saying hi, and then they vanished. Wow. That is a cool story. Mm-hmm. Thank you again for sharing that with us. It's amazing. And uh, coincidentally, while digging through other stories, Luke found this reference to something that sounds really similar to that. Uh, and this is just the, the chopped down version. But last year, my sister and I were at a party at a neighbor's house in Detroit. We were chatting and my sister looked down the hallway. I looked in the same direction. We both saw the shadow of a man wearing a wide-brimmed hat walk from one room to another, passing the hall closet. Later, we found out from the couple that lived there they were having problems with a mischievous spirit. I guess he would whisper the name of the woman who lived there when she was alone in the house. Oh, not cool. Right? Oh. And that's what, three or four stories now with the yeah. same through line. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So thank you again uh, to Reddit user Shotgun Selling Sloth. <laughs> that's pretty cool. This is the last story, and this one's a long one. Um, these stories are longer, which why there yeah. are fewer of them. But uh, this is a story I was told... Actually, when I was in Hawaii in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I was originally going to write a book about shadow, like a shadow of shadow people's yeah. stories. Yeah. And cool. So it's a little more story esque than some of the other ones we've told. So it's going to be a little more detailed than. And flowery. Yeah. A little yeah. more flowery. A little more we'll flowery. A little more purple. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. The part of the Farrington Highway that cuts through Waiane, a working class town on Oahu's west coast, is a far cry from the bronzed surfers and beached Midwesterners image cultivated by the rest of the island. The four-lane blacktop is lined by modest, often single-story houses, surrounded by sparse, patchy lawns and cinder block walls. Rising above many of those utilitarian gray fences are huge koa trees, their brilliant green foliage spreading out against the sky. Rising above them, deep in the distance and 4,000 feet high, is the broken rim of a long-dead volcano, the Waiane Range. This combination of grandeur and simplicity makes the road even more memorable than some of Oahu's purely scenic drives. It would have stuck in my mind even if the young lady driving me back to Honolulu hadn't brought up the shadow people. Her name was Kelsey. She was 26, with the tanned, lithe form and graceful, graceful physicality of someone who spends much of their life under the sun in full view of God and his associates. She was a naturalist with one of the island's many tour companies, and two hours earlier had assisted in pulling my sad, waterlogged ass out of a rapidly deteriorating situation in the Pacific Ocean. On the drive back, we talked in the voluble way of two people working very hard to forget awkward circumstances. The conversation eventually turned to Hawaii's long tradition of ghost stories, and Kelsey confessed she had never seen a ghost, exactly, but she had seen something. Originally, I'm from Michigan, she said. Detroit. This happened just before I moved out here, so I would have been 23 or 24. My friend Sarah had come over to my place for a girl's night. She shifted in her seat and checked the rearview mirror. 
The polarized lenses of her sunglasses made it impossible to see her eyes, but her voice had the wistful tone of someone remembering, if not better times, simpler ones. We would do that whenever we could get our schedules together, she said. We would read magazines, drink a bottle of wine, and just talk until we fell asleep. That was pretty much what happened on this night, except the topic somehow turned to spooky stuff. I don't even remember how anymore. According to Kelsey, she and Sarah had talked ghost stories for a large part of the night. Neither of them had ever seen anything remotely paranormal, but for whatever reason, that night they couldn't let the subject go. Eventually, as per usual, the two fell asleep and stayed that way for hours until Kelsey suddenly woke. My eyes just snapped open, she said. I was frozen in place. All I could move was my eyes. It was early morning. A tiny bit of sunlight had started to come through the curtains. In that dim light, Kelsey could see someone looming over her in bed. I didn't know what it was, she said. For a split second, I thought it was a burglar, but then I realized it only looked like a person that didn't have a face. It was maybe a foot above me, and it felt like it was trying to stare a hole right through me. I tried to struggle, tried to scream, but I just couldn't do anything. I'd never been so scared. Then I saw one bending over Sarah, too. Whether it was the shock of seeing the thing, an overload of helpless panic at knowing her friend was being similarly threatened, or some unknown ability of the creatures, Kelsey fell back asleep. When she awoke properly, it was late morning, and she decided not to mention the incident to anyone, Sarah included. After all, it had to be a dream, right? She said. At least that's what I told myself. The Oahu sun was still shining on us as we carved our way down Route 93, but warmth had gone out of it. Kelsey went on. A couple weeks later, Sarah and I were out for lunch, and she says to me, I had the strangest dream at your place the last time I slept over. All of a sudden, I felt sick to my stomach. I said, oh yeah? Yeah, Sarah said. It was gross. I dreamed that I woke up in the early morning and I couldn't move at all and there was this thing standing over top of me. It was like the outline of a person, but completely solid and black, just staring at me. It was the worst dream I've ever had. I didn't say anything that morning because I didn't want to think about it. The two women had continued eating for a few minutes before Sarah put down her utensils and spoke up again. I didn't want to think about it because one of those things was standing over you too and there was nothing I could do about it. As Kelsey and I neared the sprawl and permanent traffic jam that marks the beginning of Honolulu, my guide began to sound resigned more than anything else. And suddenly the sun-kissed young woman who had effortlessly swum through the rising swells to comfort my hopeless, bobbing bulk suddenly seemed a lot older. I never told Sarah that it hadn't been a dream, that it happened to me too. What would have been the point? It's bad enough that one of us knows. Mm-hmm. And that, that, yeah, that one has always stuck with me. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's a great story. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for uh, Haunting in Detroit. I mm-hmm. think we've got a lot of stories there. Yep. And when we come back, we're going to share some listener mail. Like some ancient architects of Africa I'm darker than no man I come from Europeans The ones that made people three-fifths of human beings What do you believe in? Faith is everlasting Riot cops smashing and questions for the asking Bask in my life, falling trapped in the rain Spreading like the ism through the prisms of your brain Drop like die, one shot from the cliff Revolutionary getting sprayed off bullshit you want the throne, you better watch your game. Cause in the end, them dictators hang. 
welcome back. Thanks as always to our researcher, Luke Greensmith. We couldn't do this without him. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a ton of material that we, again, just as every time, we just don't have room to get to. So if you enjoyed this, let us know, and we may just have to come back to Detroit sometime. Yep. All right, now we're going to get into some listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Our first email came from Bill, and uh, Bill says, I like your podcast, even when you go off topic. And he then- uh, Good thing. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's a lot. <laughs> and uh, he includes a story which happened to a friend of his in a hotel, and we are going to save that for uh, a listener stories episode. Yep. Thank you so much for writing in, Bill. We really appreciate that. At the end, he says, I don't think my friend can tell that story without swearing. And I'll tell you, Bill, most of the stuff that's happened to me, I can't tell without swearing. And that's paranormal or otherwise. I, I think, actually, we should have a hotel-themed show. That would be great. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you or anyone you know has had a, a, an experience in a haunted hotel, write us at ghostguys.gmail.com. There you go. Yep. Yep. We can do a haunted hotel episode, and it yeah. would be way better than that season of American Horror Story. <laughs> Our next email comes from Rowan. And uh, Rowan has a story about the old lava tubes near Mount St. Helens. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to say, and I I did respond to him, Rowan, I think you've got balls of steel going anywhere near that place. You know, that's that's crazy. And um, I did actually ask him a question, because Rowan has the same last name, and I won't say it on air, but it's Mm -hmm. a very unique last name. And it is the same last name as an old fellow who picked me up once while I was hitchhiking. Oh, wow. And so I, I, Rowan, uh, check your email. I did respond, and I'm kind of curious to know if this person is at all related to you. He, uh, I was almost attacked by a dog that day. And when I got in this guy's car, told him what happened. He yeah. said, well, give me a walking stick. He said, here, you know, use this next time. It might distract him or might make him think twice if you whap him with this thing. <laughs> and I still have that walking stick. Cool. On the same ride, he says to me, this old man, he says, uh, do you smoke? And I said, no. And then I thought, wait. I said, not cigarettes. And he goes, that's better. <laughs> he hands me a pipe. <laughs> yeah, I was... Uh, <laughs> That'd be cool if, it, if he knows them. That would be cool. Yeah. So, Rowan, it's a long shot, but if you are, let me know. Mm-hmm. That'd be uh, that'd be pretty funny. Thank you so much for writing. We had an email from Flo, and uh, Flo had uh, some dreams for us, which yeah. were really cool. And um, I, now that we actually have, because I, I struggled for a long time trying to figure out a format for the dreams episode. That was one of the things okay. I struggled with. I did not know how to format it. Because again, like the shadow person thing I was talking about, I sort of thought, do I have to get into the the science of this? Do I have to try and explain? No, why do you overthink everything? Uh, it's a gift. And people just want to hear the stories. I know. They don't I, care what you think. But what's funny, I was, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's true enough. <laughs> when I was talking to Rachel from Hexagram the other day, I mentioned that this new format where we tell stories mm-hmm. was originally your idea for the show. It and was. I said, no, no, that's not good enough. Yeah, you did. And then we went through a whole year yeah. where, I mean, and I'm proud of the work we did. Absolutely. No, absolutely. But, you know, it just goes back to simple sometimes is yeah works. And yeah. I guess the moral of the story is you can always count on me to be simple. <laughs> yeah. I can't argue with that. <laughs> and I, I do love telling stories. Yeah. I, I, I love telling There's stories. There's something magical about it. I really enjoy it too. Well, good thing. Doing yeah. Ghost walks. Yeah. No kidding. Right. But no, I enjoy it too. Yeah. So Flo, thank you for those dreams. And uh, now that we've actually got an idea of how to structure that, or I do, we, you may be hearing As them sooner just or tell later. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to make it sound better. Shut your oh, mouth. Oh, sorry. Yeah, format problems. That's thank you. It. Yeah, production values. I'm just saying random things. Yeah, I, I, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. We had an email from Melanie, and Melanie gave us a haunted highway story. And uh, that is really cool. It's from Minnesota. 
So uh, again, when we do a listener stories episode, we're, or even when we do maybe another uh, Haunted Highways episode, because people seem to really like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, so thank you, Melanie, and uh, listen for that in an upcoming episode. And finally, we had a message from Pete who says that we are, what do you say, screwing with his sleep patterns? Yeah, he waits for our episodes every Tuesday, and then we mess with his sleep patterns because <laughs> he has to go to work. So yes. sorry about that, Pete. Yes, yeah, sorry. Well, because ordinarily, uh, up until the last couple weeks, I have been releasing generally at 12.01 right. Tuesday morning. Yeah, yeah. But because I've been working more at night, I haven't had a chance to edit the show until it's basically the day of yeah, yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. So, uh, sorry about that people. I'm trying to get back on that Monday night schedule. <laughs> so fingers crossed. Excellent. All right. And so I think that's going to do it for listener mail. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have coming up? Not a lot. We are going to be having our own table with fellow author, Barbara Smith. Of course. Next month at the Sydney market. Yes. Um, we can give more details about that when we know them. But uh, Yeah, I got to order some books. Now that I have money, I got to order some you books. You do. I got mine. And, and yeah, they're not cheap. No, they are not. Books are not books cheap. Are not. Uh, you, of course, are back doing ghost walks. I am every Thursday this month and uh, another Saturday I'm so going to be doing them. Are you guaranteed to be doing the walk or are you sometimes taking tickets? Um, Saturday, it's up in the air. Thursday this month, it's all me. Okay, yeah, perfect. It's all me. Yeah, guaranteed. And if you want to confirm that, if you want to see Ian on a ghost walk, just email us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Yeah, for sure. And we'll- uh, We'll, we'll look out for you. We'll look out for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have a story you want to share, send it to us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com yeah. or find us on the Facebook page. That's just the Ghost Story Guys. Yeah. Uh, if you want to add us on personally on Facebook, you can. We don't post publicly very much and we, we don't really respond- or I don't respond much to Facebook messengers. Right. Uh, just because I have so much else to do, yeah. I can't chat. Right. You know, it's, it's difficult. So yeah, no, I, I do, I love hearing from everybody, but we prefer if you send emails. Yeah. As I, I again, I just, I don't want you to think I'm ignoring you, no. but I struggle to keep up with, yeah. uh, with things as a rule and having sort of chats come at me is difficult. Yeah. I just don't, yeah. I'm not built that way to be that <laughs> social, but I do love hearing from you. So please just send us an email. Again, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at largely the truth. Uh, Ian doesn't really use Twitter, no, but you can reach so him much. via yeah. the Facebook page and Grinder. Also, I host a radio show, Largely the Truth. It's a music show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific on 92.5 Stoke FM and uh, via the web at stokefm.com. <laughs> Our researcher, Luke Greensmith, is on Twitter at Luke Greensmith, and he's going to be attending some horror conventions in England in August and September, and uh, by then we will have a big old ghost story guy shirt for him so you'll be able to nice. find him there and say hi that's awesome and uh, yeah if you want again you can send stories to us or if you want to get a hold of Luke you can uh, he's doing some film work coming up which is, could be exciting cool yeah he's, he's an interesting dude thanks as always to Pizzanta Music for our intro and outro music you can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Pizzanta Music and his new album should be out soon so I'm cool. looking forward to hearing that that's uh, one of those has Russian rap Russian rap with me on it <laughs> I can't wait to hear that oh yes <laughs> Thanks to Riot at the Dojo for letting us use their song Separated by Stars. You really should check them out. Again, you can find them at riotatthedojo.com. You can check out the video for their singles on YouTube, and you can find their debut EP, Alien America, on iTunes. Our upcoming schedule may be a touch erratic as we're moving the cabin, but we're hoping that won't cause too much upheaval. Yeah. But it's possible we may be late by a day or two, depending on uh, depending on circumstances. But we'll update everyone on the Facebook page. And I don't think we will be. No, I think we'll be fine. Yeah. I think we'll be fine. Oh, and our next episode, there are two things before we go. Okay. Our next episode is yeah. going to be about summer camp. Yes. If you have a story of haunting, a real story, not a creepypasta. Love those, but we're not interested. From your time at summer camp, we would love to hear about it. 
Yeah. Send us an email again, ghoststoryguysgmail.com or via the Facebook page. I think summer camps are so um, easy to be haunted because, again, it's that leaving space. So uh, a lot of summer camps are only open during the summer, and then they're locked up and empty all winter. And you've got all that energy, all that, you know, huge amount of energy in the summer, and then it's switched off and it's just left. So it makes sense to me that things would sort of find their way there. Oh, sure. And a lot of them are in the woods. Yeah. yeah. Which is near water. Yeah. Very powerful places. Yeah. So looking forward to hearing those stories. And the other thing is, we have talked for a long time now. We've had people ask us to do weekly shows, and there's just no way in hell that's ever going to happen. No. But what we have decided to do is do bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. And right now that's looking like a once-a-month thing. Uh, we haven't yet decided really on a format. We're going to try some different stuff. But we have recorded our very first bonus episode. It includes our first ever in-studio guest. It does, and she is uh, has a delightful voice and a laugh that can light up a room. And she is an alien who can kill people with lasers. Um, okay. She fought Arnold Schwarzenegger in the jungle. Yeah, I don't think that's actually on her resume. Well, it should be. Okay. Uh, don't forget to share the show on Facebook, Twitter, wherever, you know, tell your friends. We've had a real jump in numbers lately. Yeah. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I'm very happy about it. We're cool with it. Our traffic has almost doubled. Yeah. And it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's nice knowing that people are out there listening to what we're doing. And, and they're enjoying, enjoying it. it. Yeah. So thank you for all your support up to now, and uh, we hope you still enjoy yourselves going forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to do it. Yeah. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, into the darkness we go. We are all in one body, but we are separated like stars. my phone in my bag just so I won't be tempted and this is on mute. Good. So I know how easily distractible <laughs> I am. Yes. I know. Boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Your dating world is very different than my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Edit that tightly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's going in the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs>